Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Yeah, and now you're trying to make me feel away on purpose. Now you're throwing it back in my face on purpose. Now you're talking down on my name on purpose. Yeah, and you don't feel no way. You think I deserve it. Welcome into the WEI Celtics Podcast. I am your co-host, Jared Weiss. I'm joined, as always, by Sam Packard. What's up, Sam? Nothing much. How are you doing today, Jared? I just needed to say that to confirm you were alive. So, we're here, we're in the studio, and we are about to be joined by Ian Thompson of NBA.com, one of the best writers covering the NBA from a national perspective, and really one of the best wearers of houndstooth blazers in existence. He just he's mastered the art of the houndstooth I don't know blazer. what a houndstooth blazer is. Can you please explain? It's uh, how the hell do you explain what a houndstooth blazer is? It is if a, you're gonna bring it up on the podcast, I mean, you got to be able to defend houndstooth it. Houndstooth is kind of like it's like a jagged pattern that, if you look closely, is shaped like a houndstooth, which is something that I think any person knows what it means exactly. Mm-hmm. Sam's gonna Google that while I do the intro here. So uh, it's a WEI Celtics podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, WEI.com, and the CLNS that's an Radio odd that's an odd app. shape. I would not call that a houndstooth. Well, I guess I kind of see it now. I'm sorry. Yeah, I started interrupting. You see but... me wear a, a houndstooth blazer. I got a keyton houndstooth blazer. I break out from time to time when I want to keep it classy, but also casual. It's a great it's a great way to stay comfortable, look classy, but still be nice and relaxed at the same time. Okay, and our guest Ian Thompson from he's NBA.com wears cool. a lot of houndstooth. I mean, cl- he's classy and he's relaxed all the time. That's I've seen him at the garden. I've never noticed the houndstooth, but maybe that's just my. That's just I'm not a fashionable eye. Okay, so uh, before we go to Ian. Um, we have to just very, very quickly, for 30 seconds, because I'm surprising you with this, we have to talk about the Celtics going into draft workouts here. Now, we have absolutely no idea where they're going to be picking. And we have no idea what kind of player they're going to be looking at. But if you're the Celtics, are you looking at every single player, 1 through 30, 1 through 60 that could be picked, or are you still focusing in on the spots where you currently have your draft picks? I think you have to look at every single player who has ever existed in the history of time because they have eight picks. They, they got to bring George Mikan in for a workout. Pretty much. They have eight, so many picks that they could be drafting at literally any, any slot. You don't know who's going to be available. You want to have as much information as possible. Um, it's going to be nice to see them finally get to work out the top picks because they wouldn't even get those workouts last year. So it would be Ben Simmons, Brandon Ingram, Dragon Benda. Dragon. They should all be coming in, so I think they're just trying to learn as much information as possible. I just, I just want to see how you can. Buddy or Chris Dunn in the end, anyway, right? So what does it matter? Yeah, it's just gonna, yeah, just grab the shooter. Yeah. Whatever happens. Now, most importantly, I want to ask you about probably the biggest news that has happened since 1997, and that is the confirmation of news that I thought we already knew from a year ago that LeBron James is going to be the star of Space Jam Two. Now, I actually saw there was a piece on Deadspin, I believe, where somebody went against logic, decency, and common sense and posited that Space Jam was actually not a good movie. 
I've seen this hot take out there. It is burning hot, and it is. I I'm ready to lead a class action libel lawsuit because I am appalled. I think I saw first saw when this was first discussing Ethan Strauss come out and say he hated Space Jam Two, and he started complaining that the basketball scenes weren't realistic. Oh come on! Or that that's, it wasn't that's like such an that's such an Ethan's thing to say. It's exactly what he would say because you know in real life Jordan can only stretch his arm out from the three point line. He couldn't really do half court. It's just an, it's Looney Tunes. Maybe I grew up like, I grew up on the Animaniacs. I love the Warner Brothers personally. Each of them uh, personally. Ethan's like I think a couple years older than us, so he grew up on it too. I mean, it's, I it's, mean, everyone did. It's just wrong. You, it's a kids' movie, so if you watch it after you're like 11 years old, you're not going to think it's that good. Obviously, as a 20, you're still going to think it's decent. Bill Murray's in it. Uh, uh, like Newman. I've I've seen clips from Space Jam like as I grew up, just like pop up on TBS while I was like home, quote unquote, homesick. From school, and I didn't think it was that good, but it was nostalgic for me, and I enjoyed it. Oh, for it. me, it's a and must Newman watch every fun. time, and I enjoy it every single I'm not, time. I'm not a Bill Murray fan, honestly. I don't. I really don't like Bill Murray. Um, you don't. You dis. You, you dislike I don't, I don't Bill Murray. Dislike Bill Murray. I'm just not into Bill Murray. I think he's got a little too much of a like. His whole thing is like I'm really full of myself, and I think everybody else is stupid, and that can work sometimes. But I feel like Bill kind of. Plays he like he does it in such a like kind of like a muted way that generally I haven't really been into him. I but think he, he d- I really think he kills movies. it in uh, in Space Jam. Comes off the bench, finishes his career. Uh, and Space Jam was a unique, undefeated. That was probably his best performance. I'm surprised <laughs> he didn't win an Oscar for that one. But I'm excited for Space Jam too. You know, I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna pretend to be a kid, and I'm probably gonna be pretty drunk, and I'm gonna enjoy it. All right, this is the question though: Is the uh, after LeBron choose your n- uh, next four? Uh, pl- Oh, no, it has to be five players because LeBron's going to have to go against them. Who would be your okay. five for aliens? So, for one, okay, Isaiah Thomas. Got to be. Not be not at all being biased, but Muggsy Bogues was deliberately put in it, even though there were plenty of other good players besides Muggsy. And, frankly, Muggsy was a really good player who I really liked, but Isaiah Thomas now is, I think, better than Muggsy was at his peak. For- and they need a short guy, and there's really – Nate Robinson would have been it five years ago, but Nate's not really around anymore, unless they're doing a Chinese version of it, of course. I think he plays in the China League now, right? Yeah. Uh, but Isaiah, I think, is without a doubt going to be in this movie. One of the biggest factors right now is body composition. You need a small guy. He's got a different yep. body than the rest of the uh, rest of the NBA, and he's quite talented, and he's got a bit of an attitude. So I'm with you there. So Blake Griffin has to be in it because Blake Griffin is by far the best know, actor he, and funniest he, he person. He kind of needs NBA. to be in it to kind of get his reputation back That's up. That's true. I think he's going to be the Charles Barkley in this one. He's the one that loses his athleticism, loses his powers, gets made fun of by the people exactly. at the park. Yeah, I see that fits. Yeah, they need a center, and I mean honestly, DeAndre he's done some he's done some work at uh, UCB LA with Blake, and he wasn't good, but I mean he's at least he's got. Behind it probably the will be DeAndre, but I think it should be Porzingis because he looks oh, exactly yes. like. The Sean Bradley monster uh, from the first movie, and I, I feel forgot like about the, I forgot about Sean Bradley too. I was just thinking of Patrick Ewing. So yeah, lock it in, lock in Kristaps. I mean, yeah. I think it's likely going to be De, uh, DeAndre because he does uh, fancy himself an actor. But yeah, although Roy Hibbert too, although Roy's stars faded, but he was really good on Parks and Rec for a while. If we can get Ben Schwartz, aka John Ralphio, for Parks and Rec into this movie, that would be a win for society. Maybe put him in the Bill Murray role. I mean, I, I think that's that would be. He, they could win the Nobel Prize for that. Have you ever seen the Ben Schwartz, uh, Bobby Moynihan short called The Bronx World Travelers? I have. Anyone listening right now, if you enjoy having a good time watching Donald Glover, Ben Schwartz, and Bobby Moynihan uh, do a faux uh, Harlem Before they were Globe. famous, too. Right? Yeah, well, this yeah. is like early New York comedy days of those guys doing a um, faux um, Harlem Globetrotters uh, sketch, or a series of sketches. It's fantastic. But we've gotten way off course. 
I mean, I could do a whole podcast on Ben Schwartz. I think he was. I was supposed to do a podcast with Ben like a couple years ago, and then I never heard back. Let's get him on the Let's podcast. Get him back on. My brother is actually in a movie with Ben Schwartz, uh, the uh, Derek comedy movie. They were in a scene together in really? the bowling alley. Yeah, fun story. You're talking about um, what do you call it? Why am I blanking on the name right now? My the friends one, are gonna kill me. Yeah, where they go to the uh, thing. mystery team. Yeah, mystery squad, mystery uh, team. Mis- so I'm actually in the credits of that movie. How so? Believe it or not. So when they came and screened that movie at the Brattle Theater in Har- at, at Harvard Square like six, seven years ago, I forget how long ago that was. I think it was like 2008 or so. Uh, my girlfriend Carolina and I went to go watch it, met DC Pearson, who was there. He inducted us into the Derek Comedy Sword Club, where we got our own foam swords that he wrote some sort of inspirational message on and signed. And then they put our names in the credits I don't know if it's in the credits or it's if you go to like the DVD extras, if you still have a DVD player, and it's like under that. But either way, I'm a part of movie history. All right, but and I'm going to have to one-up you. You have to one-up you. My brother plays the character, the grimy du- drug dealer Dougie in that movie. By the way, I have to rewatch that movie now that I know that He's got a real, real gross uh, haircut. Uh, he was also a PA. He did craft services, so he gained a lot of weight standing <laughs> wow, next did, to the... You, you got like three different uh, membership cards for that one, right? Yeah, so he's in that. He's wearing a shirt that says no fear on it, which is uh, always a good goof. But mm. Mystery Team was 2009, by the way. Only a 53% of Rotten Tomatoes. I would have given that a 70. Aubrey Plaza was in that, too. I mean, they had a lot of good stars. That they did. That, that they was did. a good movie. Okay, so we're a basketball podcast, so let's talk about basketball. Yeah, but hold on. Just go back and watch Derek Comedy okay. if, before you, uh, or after you listen to this podcast. Just watch the Memento one. It's not a mouth-based video game. I think that's a good transition. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk to Ian Thompson. Ian Thompson is about to head to Portland, took enough time to talk to us while scarfing down his dinner. Thanks for joining us, Ian. No, I appreciate it. It's good to be with you guys. So first off, I want you to put on your Danny Ainge hat. And before we talk about the rest of the playoffs, we have to figure out what's the next step for the Celtics director of basketball operations. So I know the Celtics are starting draft workouts on Wednesday. What is your plan of attack if you're in Danny's shoes over the next month? Well, it's probably, uh, from my point of view, it's a simple process. It's like uh, it's like you tell a player to take what the game gives you. Well, I think he's just going to be taking what the marketplace gives him here. And he's got a lot of options. So the first thing is to see how they do in the lottery. Do they win the lottery? Um, this is the first time ever the Celtics get the number one pick in the draft. Do they hold their position at number three? Do they drop a bit? Which has always been the way, the Celtic way in the draft, up high. Um but who knows? It's it's all a matter of chance. So you wait wait until uh, those results come in, and then you really know what you're dealing with up top. And he's been studying uh, the players in the draft for years. He and his staff, and he knows exactly who he wants. And it's probably there's probably at least one guy that he loves that uh, he feels like is a secret that no one else is really onto or doesn't love as much as he does. You know. Um, uh, knowing Danny a little bit, that wouldn't surprise me. And then, um, and then you go into the draft with uh, too many assets to use. Uh, eight draft picks, including three in the first round, including the high one. Uh, and you already have uh, a very nice uh, roster of young players, none of whom is 30 yet. So uh, I think we're going to just see um, all sorts of rumors popping up around the Celtics. Uh, 
leading up to the draft um, because uh, it's clear that he would like to turn uh, as many of these assets as he can uh, without giving up the ones he really wants to keep into into a star. And I, I would think the dream scenario would be, I mean, this is a dream scenario if everything breaks the right way, that he would, he would uh, come out of the draft with the number one pick, Isaiah Thomas as a, uh, an established star, um, uh, a trade for another star, and then you go into, uh, and maybe this is asking too much, but I would think this is the high high mark they're looking for. And then and then you go into free agency with all the cap space, and you say, look, we not only have uh, this roster that won 48 games, and we've uh, Isaiah Thomas is going to be a better player next year. Most of our remaining players are going to be better players next year, and we've got the number one pick, and we've got this this very good player that we just traded for, and. Uh, come join us, knowing that over the next two years we still have access to Brooklyn's number one pick, and are they going to get better fast? It's a good chance they won't, since they don't have their own number one pick. So uh, I think that is that's the the dream scenario. Uh, it probably doesn't work out that well. They probably don't win the lottery. Maybe it's hard to trade for a star. Maybe they just get a very good player. But even if none of that works out to, to the ultimate extent, I mean, if they do nothing and they just take their draft pick, they're going to win 50 games next year. They're, just by the growth of their players, they're going to be better next year just because almost all their players are going to be better next year than they are now because that's, that's where they are in their careers. So I, I, I really don't see there being a lot of pressure on him to make the team better. I know he wants to. I know Brad Stevens wants to. I know Wick Rousbeck and all the owners want to, but – I think they're in just a, uh, a very strong position. All right, Ian, I wanted to ask you a, a question just like that. So let's say the hypothetical that they don't get a, a top three pick, they end up somewhere at four, and then they go out to try and sign Durant and Horford, but they ended up signing with different teams. Let's say they strike out on all those free agents or those top-level free agents. They're going to have still around $30 million in cap space. Are there any other people out on the market that you would uh, think that the Celtics could target if Durant, Horford, and those kind of big name stars don't work, it's it's all going to be a matter of the mix. And the, I would think, I would think actually the real action is going to happen in terms of trade. Um, that you know, there's Ryan Anderson out there. He he's going to be a, a good guy to go for. But all these guys on the free market as free agents are going to be demanding uh, a lot of money there's going to be a huge market for them. Every team in the league is going to have cap space pretty much because of the TV money. The, the salaries are going to go up. Uh, so so what was a max last year is going to be much higher this year. And uh, and I just think that's going to be a very competitive dog-eat-dog marketplace where you're just, you just won't be able to believe the amount of money you're paying having to pay for some of these guys to try to get them. So for me, the real action is going to be uh, on the trading market uh, for Danny. You know, in other years, uh, you'd be rewarded for building up your cap space the way he's done. Uh, this year, there's not so much of an advantage because everybody has. I mean, when LeBron James was a free agent, there were five teams under the cap that could compete with Cleveland with max offers. And this year, Kevin Durant's going to be facing max offers from just about every team in the league, just about. 
So um, it's just it's just hard in free agency this year, I think, uh, to get a lot done unless you're the lucky team to get out, get Kevin Durant. I would I would think it's going to be more uh, trying to see if if he can uh, trade for an established star. Now, there's been so much talk about Kevin Durant being available to the free agent market over the last couple months, but it seems like everyone's forgotten about the strong likelihood that he would sign a two-year deal with a one-year, uh, only a one-year guarantee to line him up for the second cap jump and line him up for Russell Westbrook's free agency. So if you're, if you're another team out there, what's your selling point to Kevin Durant to convince him to not take that and leave a lot of money on the table and the flexibility to... Uh, continue to kind of maintain his career with Russell Westbrook? Um, I think it's a hard sell. Um, but but there's this there's this sense or this mood in the league that he's leaving, but <clears throat> I, I can see that, that there'd be many good reasons for him to stay, like you say, at least one year, or to stay for the long term. If he and Russell Westbrook decide they want to play together forever and ever and uh, and they have a good playoff run this year, and they, they think the future's bright, and they like the organization because it's a very strong organization. So, you know, the, these kinds of things, they're trying to guess what somebody's guess what somebody's going to do. Uh, I, I just think it's beyond all of us. Kevin Durant's a guy that's changed his agents a bunch of times over the years. So he, he's been trying to figure this out himself uh, as he has matured in the NBA. And um, I, I just think it's really impossible to predict. But I, I agree with you. I think it'd be wrong to dismiss Oklahoma City as uh, as a team capable of re-signing them. Well, if Oklahoma, with everybody healthy for the first time in years, can't complete at least a, I mean, if they can't get through San Antonio and they can't at least give the Warriors a good run. Does, is that a referendum, like kind of a final referendum on the the feasibility of this roster as it's constructed to try to win a title? Who knows? Because in all these situations, uh, that's only the first half of the equation. So, like, maybe he's not happy with the way things worked out this after the playoffs this year. Maybe he, maybe it's another disappointment. Uh, even though this is really one of the very rare playoff runs they've had where they've had health. I mean, most of the times in the playoffs in recent years, they've gone out because either Durant or Westbrook or even Serge Ibaka hasn't been healthy. So um, they've had the, the, the data on this is kind of limited. They haven't had, it's not like they've had like five years to see what they can do. They've only had two or three real healthy playoff runs together. Uh, where they've been in contention to win it. So so there's that. But even if you're disappointed in where you are, you still have to come up with a place that's better, that you're sure is better. Where Since if you're leaving, you're leaving to win a championship. Uh, and so you have to be sure it's better. And from a roster perspective, I, I don't see how that could exist. I mean, obviously, Boston has a lot of potential to build it up really quickly this offseason, but... Right now, there's no roster that's possibly better for someone like Durant to go to than Oklahoma unless, I mean, I think we're all pretty aware of the, the mass cleansing that uh, Golden State could try to do to fit Durant in there. But otherwise, I mean, I mean the, the moving parts on that one are pretty remarkable. Well, I mean, they, they could do it, and uh, it would be very intriguing, but then they would have to change the style of play. 
to to make it work with him. So, um, I, I'm I'm skeptical of that, but you know, everybody's gonna have their pitch, and it's not just gonna be the roster. It's gonna be the coach. It's gonna be the organization, organization, the city, uh, the future. Um, uh, you know. How is how is this place uh, different from the place where you are right now? These are all hypotheticals. It's all really interesting to talk about, but no one can speak about it. no one can speak about it with any authority whatsoever. So it's just like all kind of um, it's it's like sitting in a room and trying to uh, figure out a script or something, but it's a script of fiction because we have no idea what what's going to happen here. Well, the fans were certainly making their pitch to him. They, if you saw the video, he shut. They greeted him at the airport at uh, 2 a.m. last night, which was pretty cool to see. But uh, I wouldn't count this uh, Thunder out of this year's season. Uh, kind of got lost in the most wild last two-minute report I've ever read was that uh, the Thunder won that game and played very well uh, against the San Antonio Spurs. And who knows if they go up against a slightly hurt Steph Curry could win. So first, I just wanted to get your reactions, Ian, to... Uh, the Thunder evening in that series and taking home court, and then the wildest uh, two minutes in show business. Well, I mean, um, now it's going to be a series. It's going to be really, it's going to be really good. It's going to be really fun. I still think the Spurs um, have uh, uh, the the biggest strength in this in the series, and that's their defense. Um, um, as far as the as far as what happened in the last two minutes, it was crazy. To me, it's just another example of how difficult it is to referee in the NBA. It's just, there's just so many moving parts and, um, there's so much, uh, gray matter written into the rules. Uh, and it's, it's so open to interpretation. And then you're asking these referees to run with, uh, run up and down the court and with these athletes and get ahead of the play somehow and get themselves into position to see things that they, they would never be able to predict happening. You know, it's, uh, it's just so much more difficult, uh, not only as a matter of positioning, but uh, as a matter of interpretation of the rules than any of the other sports in our country. Um, that I, we just see these things happen every year. And to me, I just chalk it up to, okay, uh, a mistake was made in the key playoff game under intense pressure and both teams were flying around and the referees made a mistake. And, and then you're also going to see coaches make big mistakes in the playoffs. And you're going to see uh, players make boneheaded plays under pressure and you're going to see all sorts of mistakes being made. And uh, I just think we're wrong to think that refereeing is, is a, a, the job description for refereeing, the, the ambition is perfection. I mean, they're trying to be perfect, but they never ever will be. It's impossible. Even if they were perfect, even if they they refereed what they thought was a perfect game, the rules are so open to interpretation that we would still be arguing, "No, you got that call wrong." And there would be referee other referees themselves who would say, "No, you got that call wrong." Even the referees can't agree while watching replay on certain plays. So, I just think it's a really really hard game to referee. Uh, and uh, it's a hard game to coach. It's a hard game to play, and they're all kind of in the same boat. I really love the way that they officiated that last sequence because he really Ginobili's delay a game with stepping over the line, 
really kind of canceled out any wrongdoing that you could accuse uh, Dion Waiters of uh, pulling off. And then we saw the league surprise everybody that's been watching basketball for a long time with announcing that uh, in the L2M report that they interpreted the rule of Dion Waiters jumping out of while he was inbounding the ball as being within their interpretation of permissible because he stayed in the same spot where he was located. So that was kind of shocking. But there were so many things that are considered to be fouls on that play that really, how many of those would you really actually call in any other, really in any other end of the game situation? I think plays like that happen all the time. Just that play was really put under the microscope because of the, because of the like the infamy and the significance of it. And we saw DeMar DeRozan clear out, was it Yamahimi, uh, and kind of like tabletop him at the final play of uh, the Raptors uh, uh, Pacers game. And, uh, and that basically won the series for the Raptors. And that was something that was found to be incorrect later on. But the fervor for that wasn't really raised in the same way as this play. I just stress my case here yeah. uh, based on what you just said, because um, it's, it, it's just all open to interpretation and the point of view of the viewer. And you could put three referees in a room with the replay of the last two minutes and they'd be arguing over what should have been called and what shouldn't have been. Watching in slow motion, without emotion, way after the fact, they would be arguing over it. It's like in the NFL, whenever they show holding by an offensive lineman, uh, how many times have we heard the commentators say, you know, they could actually call holding on every play if they wanted to. So when do they call holding and when do they not? Well, that that's like the hard thing uh, in football uh, to distinguish. Those kinds of calls are everywhere on an NBA court. Uh, in every kind of circumstance, uh, those calls exist. And, I, and, and the NFL referees are pretty much standing in a stationary position and they're just watching certain areas. The NBA referees are running at full speed with the best athletes in the world and trying to get ahead of a play to see it. And it's, uh, I, I just think they have an impossible job. Um, that's, I don't have any fault with the way the referees handled that situation because they're very consistent. And as Jared just mentioned in that other game, they're not going to make, they're not going to blow the whistle with 30 seconds left in the game. They don't want to be the ones really deciding that game. And if you look at the L2M report, Yes, there were 10 reviews or 10 different calls they could have made in the last uh, 13 seconds. Eight incorrect non, or five incorrect non-calls in that time period. But if you look at every single decision that was reviewed, they were all non-calls. Like, they were not blowing the whistle and trying to kind of, like, impress, imprint themselves into the game. They just kind of let it happen. And that's what happens in playoff basketball in the last kind of minute. That's just not how you want a series to go down. I mean, you can make arguments about Dwayne Wade against the Mavericks in 2006, <laughs> but... Generally, you'd rather the the referees stay out of the game and let the players decide it. And Ian, do you, do you think that Manu's penchant for flopping over the last eighteen years or so did that when Mark Davis saw? Because obviously, Mark Davis saw Dion Waiters move, the, like, kind of shove the ball towards him. Do you think? But it happened so quickly in real time. Do you think that when Davis saw that happen and he saw Manu's reaction, that he he very quickly probably thought that it was more of a flop than an actual foul? I just think uh, I think it was another one of those things they hadn't seen someone do before. And um, the one thing I, in talking to referees over the years, the one thing they don't want to do, they don't want to guess. That's the, when I watch the NCAA tournament, I just see referees in that tournament guessing all the time. 
and you see guys who are out of position making plays that they couldn't even see. They're guessing that somebody stepped out of bounds, or they're guessing that the ball went off somebody, and that that is the cutoff. So if there's doubts, the referees are told not to blow the whistle. So to me, that's it's not so much about the history of, of flopping or anything like that. I think there, you're asking a guy to make an instinctive decision, split second, as soon as he sees blow the whistle or not. And I, I just don't know how much these guys can factor in things like, well, I know Ginobili always flops. I'm not going to blow. I, I think it, it's, it's an instinctive thing after all these years of refereeing and studying the game and studying themselves and, and being held to account by these reports that we're finally getting to see. Um, so I, I, I just think it's uh, if he had doubt, he should not have blown the whistle, and so he didn't. All right, Ian, this has been great. We, we saw a question on Twitter that we thought would be really interesting. If you had to start the, the Ian Thompsons, is what we're naming the franchise, uh, tomorrow, who is – you get a fantasy draft of any player in the league. Who is the guy that you're starting your franchise with? Well, the first thing I'm doing is I'm changing the name of the franchise, so like, so people might actually be interested. I name it after an animal or something, you know. It's, um, I mean, I thought Ian Thompson the, was an animal. Who's the guy in the draft or in the in the NBA right now that I would any start with? player in the NBA? Um, well, it'd have to be a guy that can create his own shot. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the short list that's been out there has been Curry, obviously, Durant, uh, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns. I've heard Kawhi Leonard Kawhi as well. Leonard. I would start with Carl Anthony Towns. That's exactly what I was hoping you would say. So why? I would uh, start with him because um, I think he, I think he's actually going to bring back the center position. Um, <clears throat> Because he's so much more than the old-fashioned center. I mean, the guy won the skills competition this year, and he's a three-point shooter, and yet he's developing a real post game, and he's a he's a good passer, and he's going to be a tremendous defender, and uh, and he seems to have the right attitude. He seems to um, he has he has the instincts on the court. I mean, when you watch him, he does two or three things every game where you're just saying. It's unbelievable that that guy just did that, and he does it naturally. It's not—he doesn't really seem all that impressed by it when he does it either. So he's got those instincts on the court, and then he's got them off the court, where he just seems to be really focused, and um, uh, he's not going to be hard—excuse <laughs> me—a hard guy to play with. Um, I really think you're going to be able to build a team around him, and, and when he's really, really good, uh, good luck stopping him. Who's going to guard him? Um, uh, the league is not built to um, deal with centers. So, like, the league was not built to deal with Curry. Uh, he's kind of caught everybody by surprise by making uh, threes five feet behind the arc. And the league's struggling to catch up with him, and I think Towns is going to be the next guy the league's going to be struggling to catch up with. I mean, he, he projects like he's going to do a lot of what Draymond Green is doing right now, but then doing it at another six inches taller and with even more post ability. The, it, at some point, the league is going to be Steph Curry versus Giannis Antetokounmpo versus Carl Anthony Towns, and I guess Anthony Davis is still there, right? And it's just like a battle of these superhumans at their position. 
Yes and no. It will be if those teams are great teams. Uh, you know, it's only gonna it's only gonna come down to that if it comes down to that in the playoffs, right? So um, it would be a great thing if it did come down to that in the playoffs. If the best, you know, the the most talented players had the best teams around them. But the other thing I know for sure about Carl Anthony Towns, he got at a young age he got a coach that's gonna put him through boot camp. So there's gonna be none of this deference to the players or. Uh, uh, what do you think, Carl Anthony? What do you, what do you think? No, no, no. Go do this. Go, go run your laps. Go do this. Work harder than everybody else because this is how you become great. I mean, Tom Thibodeau, he's got a coach that's going to really drive him, and it's going to be the best thing for him. With Thibodeau and Garnett there next year, assuming Garnett is there next year, which I'd imagine it's hard to imagine him not being there, even if he's just wearing a suit the entire year. The, the prospects for Towns to be a superstar by year two or even three is it, it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, and I don't even think now that he has Thibodeau there, I mean, it's always great to have Garnett, but um, the key guy here is Thibodeau. Uh, that's the, this is the key one here in, in his development. And it's, he's going to develop as a great defender. And uh, his defense is going to turn into his offense and but the priority is going to be defense, which means he's really he and that team are going to be positioned to do very well in the playoffs as they as they get older. I I think having Thibodeau there just uh, hastened their learning curve in a big way. All right, that's been Ian Thompson from NBA.com. You can find him on Twitter at Ian Thompson. Anywhere else we could uh, we should look for you. Uh, no, that you covered it. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. And if, if you're walking the streets of Portland tomorrow, you can look out for him as well. He's hard to miss. And you can uh, look yeah, out yeah. for the new Seattle franchise called the Seattle Ian Thompsons uh, coming in a couple years. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a, a franchise in Seattle, especially with that. <laughs> Actually, okay, 10 seconds. If you had to pick any city that doesn't have an NBA team in the country to start, whatever the name of your franchise would be, who would you choose? Oh, yeah, it would be in Seattle. Okay, they great. should have a franchise, for sure. Great. All right, thanks a lot, Ian. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks to Ian Thompson of NBA.com for joining us here on the WEI Celtics podcast. It was fun, and it was enlightening. So you can find me on Twitter at CLNS underscore Jared Weiss. You can find me on Twitter at Sam Packard NBA. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a review, uh, you can also find us on the WEEI app, the CLNS radio app, Stitcher, or wherever your Android users get your uh, podcasts. And there might be just like a CD with this podcast on it left outside your door tomorrow. I've actually always thought about this of just like making random mix CDs and putting like my Twitter handle on it and just leaving them on the red line and seeing what kind of response I would get. See, I would do it like in uh, Mr. Robot where the CD would actually really be a Trojan horse virus to uh, gain control of your computer and your life and then I will force you to do things for me. Well, see, I that makes me feel like you're inherently more evil than I was. I'm just trying to spread the joy of my personal music taste, uh, and you're trying to uh, destroy humanity. I'm just excited for Mr. Robot to come back. All right, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the WEI Celtics podcast. Make sure to tune in in two weeks where we'll give our reactions to the NBA lottery, the most fascinating 30 minutes in sports. But I got to think twice. Before I give my heart away And I know all them games you play Cause I play them too Oh, but I need some time off From that emotion Time to pick my heart up off the floor
All it takes is strong man, baby. But I'm showing you that door. Rock, gotta have Spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.